Welcome back, everybody. It is Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. We are about to jump into our Bible study, hoping that you can hear us all. Hopefully the delayed broadcast here is will get us with a nice clear signal because we're kind of wondering whether... The live listeners are actually catching us. It seems that we're cutting in and out. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't know why, so we've been sw- swapping between uh, Wi-Fi network here in the studio and hotspot on our phone, and it just seems to be a problem to our area. This is what happens when it rains. Internet doesn't like rain. We've had a lot of rain. Mm. Fun times. Fun times indeed. Okay, so a couple of quick reminders and mm-hmm. hoping that you're getting these reminders because this is really critical for you to get and I do believe that this is why uh, Satan is working so hard to try and stop our signal this morning is because the N.Digital is starting this evening and we need to tell you about it and you need to be a part of that. Yes, that's right. Um, it premieres at 7.30 this evening, the N.Digital, America and the End it's called and we've been talking about it fairly regularly. So uh, uh, Justin Tarosian, Sharissa Tarosian, myself, uh, the three presenters, we were just talking to Kyle Vincent, who is the guy who's kind of uh, producing the whole thing at the moment and doing all the editing and cutting and making us look good, which is uh, <laughs> <coughs> a bit of a miracle. He's the, he's the miracle worker on the team. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, just talk, talking about the work that uh, that he's been called to do, which is just just amazing. He does an incredible job. You know, just a few small, simple things and suddenly you're getting this just Phenomenal presentation, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so that was uh, that was Kyle a little bit earlier talking about the America and the end. And if you look at America like right now, you know, it's, wow. Yeah, There's they did, a lot that, happening. There was, there was uh, what was there, 200 cars that did a drive through New York City. Uh, I think it was Jews for Donald Trump. Yeah. And they were draped with American flags and all that kind of stuff and they were getting pelted with rocks and eggs and yeah. people being arrested. It sort of makes you wonder, you know, how far away are these guys actually from civil war? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty wild world in which we are living right now. Very, very polarised world. Yeah. All right. What else have we got to talk about? I think that's about it. That's it. That's all the... Uh that's all of our announcements. Let's get into our Bible study. At this particular time, we're talking about seeing the face of God. Yesterday, we talked about how that when, you know, the disciples said, you know, show us the Father, and Jesus is like, I've been with you all this time and you haven't seen me. And we talked about how that when Moses said, you know, show me your glory. The father said, I will declare my name and then proceeds to declare his character. Yeah. And so when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he wasn't actually revealing, you know, the physical features of the father. Mm -hmm. He was revealing the character of the father because that's what's important. We get excited by the bling. We just want to see bright, shiny things. Human beings are very simple creatures. We, we are entertained by <laughs> things that are bright and shiny. <laughs> That's true. Sparkly things. Sparkly things. So distracting. Uh-huh. We're so distracting. And so we just want to see the glory of God. We just want to see bright, shiny things. Yeah. And God's like, this is not what it's all about. Yeah, sure, I've got lots of brightness and shininess, but that's not what it's about. It's about character. But um, in that text, didn't Moses ask to see God's face and then God said, 
if you see my, no man can see my face and live. That's what right. was God talking about there? Was he talking about his actual face? He was talking about his actual face. Oh, okay. And he passed by Moses, he put Moses in a, in, in a crack in the rock, put his hand over him, passed by, took his hand off, and Moses actually saw his back as he passed by. Mm-hmm. And then when Moses got to the bottom of the mountain, sometime later, his skin was shining so brightly that the Israelites couldn't even look at him. He had to put a veil, had to put a uh, piece of cloth over his face so that they could be in just Moses' presence. Mm. So when you talk about glory and when you talk about brightness, that's a lot of brightness and a lot of glory when you know human skin abs- actually absorbs it to the point that the skin continues to glow. Glow, yeah. They're like, put a veil on your face. <laughs> but we find that as being the most fascinating thing. Yes, yes. And God was like, this is not what it's all about. Yeah. It's all about character. It's is, all about who I am. Yeah. Is that what Moses was asking to see? Moses wanted to see the bright shiny. He wanted to see the shiny and the... And so God revealed his character, pronounced his character. Wow. Which is an illustration to Moses and an illustration to us. Yes, indeed. Bright, shiny things are great and they're <laughs> super entertaining and come to the end of the year, we will all go to the New Year's you know, fireworks show or whatever else it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're human beings and we are entertained by very simple things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a little bit of bling and human beings are happy, whereas God's like, it's not, like, it's not about the bling. There's more to it than that. Okay, so yesterday we were in John chapter 1 and we read, which verses did we read? No, we were in Hebrews chapter 1. We were in John chapter 1 last week. Sometimes the Bible study sends us the same direction a few different times and I'm like, now where did we get up to? But we read the first six verses of John chapter 1. Yes. Uh, Let's just have a quick look at those verses and review some of the things the Bible says in John chapter 1, the first six verses. And then we're going to go on and we're going to look at some more of these key passages as you work your way down through the passage. The Bible says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Yeah, just, just read it for us, Renee. Mm-hmm. I'll continue from yep. uh, verse 3. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to Light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Absolutely right. Let's stop right there for a moment. Okay, so John doesn't really hold back when he comes to talk about Jesus here, does he? No, no, he gives it he, he gives it all. That's right. It's very, very he's not apologetic in any way, shape or form. He's like, Well, you know, we had this guy who was well, he Mm-mm. was he was actually he was he was kind of God. No, he's very bold in his statement. He just comes straight out. Yeah. In the beginning, Jesus existed. He was with God. Yeah. He was God. Everything was made by him. There was nothing made that was ever made that was not made by him. He's God and he is light. Now, this is interesting because he goes on to talk about, you know, um, in him was life, the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't understand it. Let's think about that for a moment, because when John was, you know, ministering with Jesus here on this earth, was he 
was he speaking about what was he experiencing the light of god was he was he seeing god's bright shininess when john was ministering with jesus was he seeing god's bright shininess no no but what was he seeing he was seeing I'm tempted to say the character of God. Uh, you would be tempted to say exactly the right thing. That's exactly <laughs> what he's seeing. Yeah. He's seeing the character of God. And so when he writes this passage right here, and he writes about the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ and the glory that Jesus was sharing while he was here on this earth, he's writing about the character mm-hmm. of Jesus that he was seeing on a day-to-day basis. Interesting uh, comment here. In the last days, just before the second coming, the faces of God's people will also shine um, as the face of Moses. They will reflect God's glory, just like Moses of old. And uh, yeah, that that is something to definitely look forward to and to be excited about. The thing that we need to be most excited about, of course, is the character. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, so let's continue on from here. Let's uh, pick up where it starts to talk about John, and let's read a few verses from here down through in verse 6, if you could please, Renee. Yeah, sure. So God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with the physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Let's uh, work our way through some of these verses. The Bible uh, moves on to talk about John the Baptist. So first, John talks about Jesus. Then he talks about John the Baptist. And it's significant what he says. It says, he was not the light. You are not the light, Renee. I am not the light. When we look at the natural world, uh, there are things. We were talking about the moon earlier and how the moon has water on it, which is just ridiculously cool. But the moon is not the light. No, it's not. It just reflects the light. And if we think about Moses, Moses was not the light. He definitely shone, but he was not the light. He was just reflecting the light. And this is what we are called to do. And if that light is God's character, we are not God's character we are a reflection of God's character. Wow. That's a pretty mm. high calling when you think about it. Mm. That's a challenge. It's like one of those things you need to stop and ask yourself on a daily basis. It's, okay, when people see me, what do they actually see? Do they see me? Or do they see somebody else? Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. In the world today, there's a lot of emphasis placed on when people see you, they need to see the genuine you. You need to be genuine about who you are. You need to be genuine about yourself. You need to be true to yourself. People need to see the real you. You know what? I'm not so convinced of that. Yeah? I'm not so convinced. I'm not so convinced I I want people seeing the real me. I would much rather that people saw Jesus in me. I would much rather than being true to self, 
I was true to Jesus Christ. I would much rather that I died to self so that people, when they looked at me, they're like, that's what Jesus looks like. That's my goal. That's my aim. And I know that I fall far short of that many, many times. But I think that's the challenge for all of us as Christians. We don't want to be true to ourselves. Ourselves get us into trouble. The Bible says the human heart is desperately wicked and evil above all things. Who can understand it? Ourself is the problem. Death, uh-huh. to, death to self is uh, the solution. Yeah. And having Jesus in your heart and having people see Jesus in you. Okay, so here's what you don't want. Mm. You don't want people to see you and you don't want people to see a fake you. It's like another level worse again. Yeah. You want to see people, we want people to see the genuine Jesus Christ in you. It's hard for me to see that in my head, but I guess if we kind of use the moon as a like as a metaphor, right? And how the moon reflects the light of the sun. But it's still the moon and you can still see the moon, but it reflects the light that comes in. What makes the moon beautiful is the glow that it gets from the reflection of the sun. Yes. And it's not the same as the sun, is it? No, no, it's not. And it's kind of black and white and a bit one dimensional. You know, you go out at night on a moonlit night and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it tells you that the sun is there. The sun is still shining. It's not the same when it comes through a human being. It's dimmed by our weakness. Yeah. But it's there. And it's there for anybody who wants to find it. And it points us to the fact that the sun is still shining and that the sun will rise and that that is where the warmth and the life will come from. I love that. Yeah. And so there's an analogy that we need to be careful not to take too far because we don't want to move into the realm of uh, sun worship and moon worship uh, because many people have made that mistake in the past. But as an, an, an analogy, mm. it can help us to understand our role and where we fit in. Yeah. yeah. All right, where do we get up to? Verse 14. Yeah, there's a couple of other um, points here that I think were uh, worth commenting on. Yeah. The Bible says he was in the world. The world was made by him. This is uh, in verse 10. And the world did not know him. It would be kind of interesting to, to be Jesus Christ and to walk around on this earth and it's like, yep, I made that, I made that, I made that, I made that as well. And you kind of wonder whether, you know, the creatures like the animals and so forth recognized their creator when human beings didn't. Mm. But he was the creator of this world. No one recognized him. But as many as received him, the Bible says, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. What what an incredible passage right there. And a great promise for us. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Okay, now we can read verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the father's one and only son. Okay, so when we... And this is, this is such a key passage to the whole understanding of Jesus Christ. Because it begins, you know, the word was with God. The word was God. The word made everything. There's nothing that exists that wasn't made by the Word. The Word is Jesus Christ. And then you come to this one. 
The yeah. Word was made Human. flesh. Yeah. And he lived amongst us. Um, we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten. Now, when John says this, he can say this from two different perspectives. The first perspective is that he did actually see the glory of Jesus. He did actually see Jesus bright and shiny. He was on the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus was you know, turned into his glorified form. And so he can say, yeah, I've actually seen his glory his, you know, in that divine format. But the more important thing is that he saw his character. The glory of God is God's character. And, that's his, and this is what John was seeing um, through this whole time. Uh, he was seeing the character of God. Okay, let's, uh, let's read some more verses here, verse 15 through 18. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who was far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we all have received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Okay, so you've, and this, is, this is so important right here because even Moses, who was one of the people who was closest to God and came the closest to ever actually seeing God, and we spoke about it earlier, how the Bible says, you know, God says, I'll put you in this crack in the rock and I'll put my hand over you and I'll go past and then I'll take away my hand once I've gone past and you'll be able to see my back. You know, and that's the closest that any human being has ever been to seeing the Father. And yet when Jesus was here, he's like, okay, you want to see the Father? Just look at me. Because what you're seeing is the character of the Father. And I can show that to you as a human being, as a righteous human being. I can't show you the glory of God as in His brightness and His shininess because if an unrighteous, a sinful person sees that, they're instantly destroyed. You know, No man can see God and live. The reason for that is not because... You know, God just consumes everything with fire that comes into his presence. He consumes sin. And we are sinful human beings. And in our sin, we can never see God and live because that sin will be consumed. And when that sin is in us, then that results in us being consumed at the same time. The Bible says that our sins have separated us from God and caused him to, you know, to hide, to hide his face from us. Okay, so we've got a whole bunch of things here to talk about in relationship to the glory of God and the character of God, what it means to us and what it was that God was revealing to us. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so where are we up to? We're talking about John. Let's go over to John chapter 14, and we were talking about this yesterday. What we're going to do today is we're going to go back and look for some context. While we're talking there, there's a couple of quotes here that I'd like to share with you that um, are most interesting. So the first one states, The light appeared when the world's darkness was deepest. Renee, do you have a torch? I do, yeah. Do you have a headlamp? No. Uh, headlamps are cool. Is that the one that you, <laughs> you put, put on your head? Yeah, you put it in the middle. It sort of you know, straps around your head and sits in the middle of your head. Yeah. Yeah, they're cool because um, you can just... Uh, it, it, it looks wherever you look. Yeah. I have a torch that has 
on the advertising, a one-kilometre range. So you can see a kilometre at night with it. It's kind of, to be honest. For real? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what the box is. How? Now, in practical terms, I would say it's practically useful for half a kilometre. But that's still not bad for something you're just sort of holding in your hand. Yes, yeah. So when is a torch the most useful? Oh, um, when it's very dark. I, I've That's been right. in a cave and uh-huh. I, I only had my phone torch and that wasn't good enough. Yes. There was people next to me with head, head, what do you he- call it? Headlamps. Headlamps. Head and I was like, oh, they're in a better situation than I am in. Vastly better situation <laughs> than the phone torch. Yeah. Um, you're a pretty brave person to go cave- caving with a phone torch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think that one through. <laughs> <laughs> next time I'll take a headlamp. Uh, yes. That way you can use... Your ha- both hands. Yes, which is super important when to you go support caving. myself in case I fell because I I did and I did fall. <laughs> yes, part of the fun of caving. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so and the, the interesting thing about a cave, of course, is that the darkness is so complete that your eyes will never adjust. Oh. So if you go outside at night, anywhere on the planet. Any night you want, if you are outside, your eyes will adjust, and you will start to be able to see things. Yeah. Not clearly, but you'll be able to see things. Yes. That will never happen in a cave. Because there's just no light. There's an absence of, there's a total absence of light. Um, sorry, also, just to add, I've also been, you know those underground caves? They're even worse. Um, sorry, I was going through a tunnel cave before. Okay, okay. I was going to ask the difference between an underground cave and an above ground oh, cave. Yeah, above. Oh, that was so true. I didn't think that through. I went one that was underneath a mountain and like, so one. Yes, was, you go through a tunnel and there's usually light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, right? that's what. I, yes, that's what I'm saying. And there was like glowworms, kind of in that one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Whereas we went. On an, in an underground tunnel, and when the guy switched off the light, he's like, "Hey, check this out." He switched it off. I, I try, I yeah, it was just pitch black, and it was kind of scary. Yep, and there is a, there is absolute nothingness to see, and it never will come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you when you think about that, you know, the darker the darkness, the more the light is appreciated. Yeah. Like you're outside at night, your eyes adjust. It's like, okay, I can, I can vaguely find my way around here. A torch would be useful, but I'm not going to die. Mm. You're in a cave, you're going to die. Yeah. You're not going to get yourself out of a cave without some form of illumination. Yes. And you're going to end up getting, you know, hopelessly lost and just dying down there. Yeah. Okay, so quote here. This is from uh, the book Education. Uh, it is by Ellen White one of the founders of our church. The light appeared before appeared when the world's darkness was deepest. And if you study the history of the Roman Empire and the, where the world was at, at that particular time, the darkness of the world was, it was, it was incredible. And it was, you know, it had been going downhill for 4,000 years. The world had become a very dark, cruel, heartless place. And Christianity has had an incredible impact on the world ever since. The fact that we have charities today, we talked about it earlier during our new segment. Charities exist because of Christianity. The concept, the idea of charities and charitable work exists because of Christianity. It never existed before Christianity came along. The idea of things like war crimes, 
which a lot of secular people, you know, get very, very uh, excited about, exists because of Christianity. The idea of a safety net in society for the poor that governments bring about and governments are expected to do something about and will lose elections if they don't do something about it exists because of Christianity. Christianity has pervaded every part of our world, every aspect of our world. And Christianity is integral to uh, the culture of our entire planet right now didn't exist before Christianity. The world was at its darkest and Jesus came and the light is appreciated the most during the darkest point. Okay, the light appeared when the, when the world's darkness was deepest. There was but one hope for the human race, that the knowledge of God might be restored to the world. Christ came to restore this knowledge. He came to set aside the false teaching by which those who claimed to know God had misrepresented him. He came to manifest the nature of his law to reveal his own character, the beauty of holiness. So when you think about how Christianity has changed our world, and our world is never going to return from the changes that, have made, that Christianity has made in our world, then we need to recognize that this is a manifestation in a very broken way and a very dim way, but it is a manifestation of the character of God. Hmm. Compassion didn't exist. There never used to have to be a moral reason to go to war. These things never existed in the ancient world. Hmm. If another nation was conquered, they were conquered and they were ruled because of the right of conquest. The right of conquest was the only morality you needed to go to war back in the ancient times. You know, there was no such thing as, you know, no discussions about making reparation for people that you had conquered. It was like, you've conquered you. Why, why would we do that? What are you even talking about? These days we think, oh, well, you know, if we have a colonial history and, and we need to do something to right the wrongs of our past. That, back in the ancient times it would be like... That wasn't a thing. What wrongs? Yeah, yeah. There was no wrongs. Yeah. We have the right to do this. Yeah. That was what the world was like when Jesus turned up. And look how the world has changed since then. Changed in a way, it's not going back. Changed by the character of God, by the glory of God, and by Christianity. Yeah. And can I just say, like, in a dark, dark cave, all you need is a tiny candle. That's right. Mm. The tiniest light, and suddenly you can see so much. That's right. And so all you have to be today is one tiny candle for Jesus Christ and it will make a massive difference in our dark, dark world. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so we are now up to... Question of the day. Okay, so this question comes in and it says, Lyle mentioned in a recent question of the day that 70 weeks were cut off. Which translation is that? The few translations I've read say determined or decreed. Okay, and this is a really good point that you've raised right here. Um, and if you look at a few different translations, you'll find probably the most common translations for that is determined or decreed. Uh, there are translations uh, that use the word cut off, such as the JHT JHV or the DBT, which says shortened. So it's been shortened from a longer period. And so your 70 weeks are shortened from your, which is 70 weeks, 70 times 7 is 490. 
uh, it's 490 days is shortened from your 2,300 days. So where does this actually come from and how do we come to the conclusion as to, you know, when you have a translation like this, uh, how, do you, how do you find out what actually should be in there? Well, the very easy way to answer that question is to look at the Hebrew. So according to the Strong's, and anybody can look this up. The Hebrew word shatak is the word here that is often translated for determined or shortened or decreed or cut off. And it literally means to cut off. Uh, so the NIV translate this as decreed. The KJV translate it as determined. Um, so consider a modern application. The boss you know, cuts off further discussion when he decides or determines or decrees that a certain decision has been made. Um, look a little deeper at this because there's another angle since Gabriel is explaining to Daniel what the 2300-day prophecy of Daniel 8 means. We can reasonably understand that the 70-week prophecy is to be a part of or cut off the 2300-day prophecy. So if they you know... Using that application, a modern application of your boss, you're having a conversation, you are uh, debating a certain subject backwards and forwards, and the boss steps in and is like, I'm the boss, so I'm going to cut it off here. Conversation stops here. Because I have determined or I have decreed that such and such is the case. And so all of those translations are correct. Determined, decreed, cut off, shortened to are all correct translations of uh, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. And so if you have a period of time that has been cut off, chatak, the Hebrew word is, that's spelled C-H-A-T-H-A-K in English. I can't give you the uh, Hebrew spelling of it. If you're going to cut something off of something else, then the only way that you can do that is if you have something larger or longer to cut it off of, if that makes sense. You can't cut something off something when the something is smaller than the piece that you're actually cutting off. Yeah. All right, so we're just stating the obvious here right now. What you've got in Daniel chapter 8 is a 2,300-year prophecy. There is a lot of detail given about that 2,300-year prophecy. In fact, Gabriel comes in and explains in great detail the entire prophecy. He tells us who the ram is, who the goat is, who the two horns are, who the little horn is, uh, who the great horn is, who the four horns are. He tells us how long the prophecy is. He tells us what will take place at the end of the prophecy. But he says, unto 2,300 days, then the sanctuary where it will be cleansed. When we give a time frame, we say from this point unto this point. Gabriel starts with the unto without the from. And the from is what you find in the next chapter when Gabriel comes back to complete the explanation. He begins the completion of the explanation by saying, okay, so we've got 2,300 days. He says, stop and think about the vision. That directly sends you to 2,300 days. And then he says, 70 weeks are cut off. 70 weeks are determined, cut off, finished. This is for the Jewish people right here. And then you have your starting date for the 2,300-day prophecy. It's the only way of getting a starting date for that particular prophecy anywhere in the Bible. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.